Forgotten Flicks remembers License to Drive, 1988. Meet the Andersons. Yes! They're all awaiting a big event. For your information, this is exactly what I ate when I was pregnant with all of you. But Les is excited about an even bigger event. Less than 48 hours away, the people at the Department of Motor Vehicles are going to be handing you your license. His reputation is riding on it. Do you think there's any chance we could get it Saturday night? Not a chance in hell, Dean. The date of a lifetime depends on it. Mercedes Lane. But it doesn't look good. You failed. He failed? Honey, what is wrong with you? Is this the end for Les Anderson? I thought that we had a date tonight. An innocent girl. Harmless drive. What could possibly go wrong? See, license whoa, to whoa, draw. Hold on, hold on. Uh, you got to show them the rest. Oh? Oh, okay. Les knew that he could regret it. This is it. I'm up. I'm up. I'm up. He knew he might be sorry. Aren't you drinking rather heavily? This Mercedes has a dead battery. Okay, okay, do your breathing. But he did it anyway. There's nothing to worry about. It's like a sign. A sign from the big Mr. Goodwrench in the sky. Will Les get the car home in one piece? Will his father leave less in one piece? You are damn lucky your mother didn't go into labor time. No, I, I am in labor! What? License to drive. Does it have a happy ending? Hello and welcome to another episode of Forgotten Flicks. I am your host, Joel. This episode is a little unusual. It's a bit of an experiment, actually. I had four separate guests join me for this episode, but they all joined me at different times. So I recorded them separately and I edited their answers together. I was actually surprised at how difficult this was. I tend to just like having conversations with folks about the movies that we all love But this time I thought, hey, let's try something different. I had several people that wanted to talk about License to Drive. This is the only way I could think to get them all on the one episode. I was joined in this episode by Dave, Heath, Doug, and Jesse. They all wanted to pipe in with their feelings on License to Drive. I asked several questions. The main ones, though, that I focused on for this edited down version were the memories they had of the movie when they first saw it. I asked them what they thought of it now after rewatching it. Uh, I asked them, of course, what their favorite two Corys movie was, if in fact they have one. And I even decided to ask them if they ever tried to pull a stunt like Les and his pals. And if they had, what would have happened to them? I hope you have as much fun listening to this episode as I did recording it. Oh, and I can't forget this. There's also a, another segment of The Quest in this one. Our buddy Dave, who's also featured as one of the guests in the License to Drive episode, talks about 
Moonstruck. And that is a really great one. So you'll get to hear that and you'll get to hear everybody's responses. I'm going to stop delaying this one. Let's get right into it. Coming up next, License to Drive, a comedy about that age-old problem, that 16-year-old problem, getting a license to drive a car. Buckle up, son. It's the real world out here. So my first question for you is a bit of a two-parter. When was the first time you saw License to Drive, and do you have any memories about it, about that, that first viewing experience? Pretty sure we rented it, and I tried to think of this. I'm narrowing it down to 1990-ish, so I think it was pretty soon after it came out. But I hadn't seen it since then. I pretty much think I saw it the one time, and I've never watched it again. Yeah, I saw this movie back, I saw License Drive in, right, probably right when it came out on video. And yes, video. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't see, I know I didn't see it in the theater. And I think it was one of those movies that it, uh, when it by cam it came on video, I, it was like I had heard that it was eh, it was pretty good. I think it got decent reviews, but it was not like something that I ran out to see. And I, I for life of me, I don't know why I didn't go see it like right in the theater um, because I'm like totally the wheelhouse. It was actually actually as I was watching it and as they got their licenses, uh, you know, Les and his and his twin sister, they. Uh, they they flash on their on their on their IDs and I'm the same I'm born the same year. You know, they're a little bit older than little older than me, but it was like, yeah, I was like getting my license right at that time. So it was um you know, I was I was totally the demographic except for the point that I wasn't a girl and into the two Corys. But you know, that's a whole another story. I saw license to drive in the summer of nineteen ninety. I saw it on some uh, premium channel, not sure which one, HBO, Cinemax, uh, Showtime, uh, Movie Channel, one of those. I saw it at my aunt's house uh, in Dayton. Uh, This would have been the last summer that uh, we ever uh, uh, visited my mom's relatives down in Dayton. After that, I went to work and so wasn't able to do that. So was down there for the summer and uh, saw it uh, several times, actually multiple times on that premium channel. It was in uh, heavy rotation I have not seen it since. Uh, I watched it that summer uh, at my aunt's house and never watched it again. I do have uh, an interesting memory associated with this movie, a painful memory, actually. Uh, What had happened was that I had failed my own driver's exam. I had turned 16 uh, that April and uh, had a shot to take it before the summer and totally failed. I passed. There were two parts. Uh, to our test, uh, well, three, I guess, with the written part, but there was the uh, the parallel parking test, which I passed by just one point, and there was the road test, the driving test, and I almost hit a guy. So uh, I uh, automatic fail, failed miserably, and it was incredibly painful to watch this movie. I, I was not able to, to retake the, the test until after the summer, so I had to, to live with that failure and shame the entire summer, and it was incredibly painful to watch this movie with that uh, shame and failure still so uh, fresh and new, like rubbing salt or, or lemon juice in a, in a wound. That's exactly what my license to drive experience was like. 
I remember wanting to see it at the movies, but uh, what happened when we uh, used to go to movies back when I was a kid, um, we lived about a two-hour drive away from the cinema, so it meant that we could only go and see films on school holidays. So I remember one school holidays, we had a choice to go and see either Beetlejuice or Licence to Drive. And I think I chose Beetlejuice because I think it maybe looked a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more interesting than Licence to Drive, but I was always a bit torn, you know, choosing between those two. And I remember you know, just hanging for License to Drive to come out on uh, video. And I remember I saw it, I think probably the day it came out on video because I'd seen TV spots and trailers for it all the time. And I just was really looking forward to it because I love the Corys. And as Corey Feldman more so than Corey Haim, I hadn't really seen Corey Haim in too much by that point. Mm -hmm. But Corey Feldman was definitely um, one of my favourites because of his early roles. And, um, yeah, I just remember just seeing it and then probably hired it about 20 times. It was one of those ones that every time... uh, I couldn't find something to watch. I would just watch that again because uh, it just never got old, really. So I did see it as soon as it came out in video, probably about early 1989, um, and it was just one of my favourite films instantly. I just loved it. So it was uh, fantastic to watch it for the very first time back in the day. I remember the basic plot, but I will note that I think uh, in the last whatever we said, almost 30 years, I get it mixed up with Mystery Date. Ethan Hawke with a girl with curly blonde hair, and they're just driving around. Except there was no gore in this movie. You hear that silence? <laughs> I have zero memory. I have zero. Me- I, I, I have this. I've just got this vague memory of watching it in my in my house in my in, in like we had a little TV room. But that's how I watched every movie. So I got no idea if <laughs> I have no idea if this is a memory from this movie or just every other movie. And I'm, I'm also remembering I'm like, yeah, maybe I watched it with my neighbor. But I think I watched a lot of movies with my neighbor. So <laughs> I don't I don't. So let's just go with back to that. Let's just go back. And here's my answer. There. There's your answer. If you said to me license to drive, the first thing that would pop in my mind is the two Corys of course, who are not only the stars of the film and were a phenomena in their own right, but uh, they're both featured on the poster. I would have remembered the poster. Uh, I remembered the exam uh, fairly accurately. I remembered it was on computer. I remember he did something to crash it and that they originally thought he had passed and later came back and said, no, you failed. I remembered uh, the, um, the driving part of the exam, particularly the coffee cup, and I remember that at the end he causes the coffee cup to drop into uh, his instructor's lap. Fortunately, though, it is empty, so I remembered all that. Remember that the car was destroyed, and I remember the final scene where Grandpa, uh, his car is also destroyed, or the other car uh, is destroyed. Those were my primary uh, memories. I did remember more as I started to watch it, uh, including the uh, ending drive in reverse to the hospital, but uh, that doesn't really count as it was kind of a provoked memory rather than a natural one. Well, the one thing I did remember about it was like the soundtrack because I had the soundtrack to this when I was a kid. Um, even I think I bought the soundtrack even before I saw the movie. Um, I used to do that when I was a kid. I used to buy you know soundtracks to films even though I'd never actually seen them. Um, you know if they looked like if they had a good score of like the composer I liked. You know John Williams and Danny Elfman. I knew them and also ones that had song 
you know songs on it i thought um this looked pretty good so it's funny i think i actually remembered the soundtrack more than i did the film itself because all the songs listening to it again this time um was uh, were really familiar and i'm like i remember that song i used to listen to that all the time i had it like on on vinyl back in the day mm. so i think i've still got that at my parents house i should dig it out and mm. actually uh, and, uh i don't know if i can still play it but um yeah so i think that was one the thing i remembered the most but um i also remembered i thinking that Corey Haim was really excellent in this movie. I mean, just before watching it again, I remember thinking that he was just exceptional and that he really sort of uh, did a really good job. And um, and then uh, and it's also funny, like it was amazing how many quotes from this film I remembered because I have friends that quote this film in daily life, like all the time. Like I've got one friend in particular who just quotes this film uh, pretty much every time I see him. Like <laughs> some some line from it, like there's so many lines, like that line, "What am I speaking Greek?" And, you know, what airline is this? And uh, you know, we just got passed by a street sweeper, you know, like those sort of lines. Um, it was uh, it was it was kind of funny just seeing all like how much of an influence this was on on his life, because it's not a film that maybe too many people know. I mean, I speak to people at work and I don't think a lot of people had even heard of it. I mean, um, I do feel, uh, yeah, that it's one that maybe if you didn't grow up around the time that it came out, you mm-hmm. may have. Not, but I remember also thinking that the direction in this one was actually excellent, and that uh, it was actually cut above for an '80s teen comedy movie. And that, uh, yeah, so that was kind of my thoughts before rewatching it again. But uh, it was a really interesting uh, viewing. Just watching it this last week. Hey, everybody! It's Dave, and welcome back to the Quest. All right. So today we are going to talk about Moonstruck. I know, silence, right? You're thinking to yourself, what does Moonstruck have to do with License to Drive? Anyone get it? Anybody? No. Okay, so here's the deal. When I was watching License to Drive, all I could think of was like, holy hell, that's, that's Heather Graham. That's a young Heather Graham, an incredibly young Heather Graham. And when I was watching Moonstruck, one of the things that struck me was, oh, my God, that's a young Nicolas Cage. Now, sure, he'd been in other stuff before that, but he looks incredibly young <laughs> compared, to, compared to the guy he became. He looks incredibly young. So that's our connection. All right, here's a deal with, with Moonstruck. That was a movie that came out when I was, I believe, 15, and... Yeah, can you imagine what a 15-year-old boy thought of Moonstruck and Cher and this, you know, you know, snap out of it and all this crap? And I think my mother probably wanted to see this movie, uh, so that, you know, I, I have to rebel against that. By the way, the other movie that I rebelled against my entire life was The Sound of Music, and guess what happened when I finally watched that? Freaking loved it. Great movie. Well, guess what happened here? Moonstruck is a very good movie. It's funny. But it's it's heartfelt. But here's the awesome thing. Here's the thing about Moonstruck, which is which I love about it. Romantic comedies are tough to make, and there's been so many bad romantic comedies. And romantic comedies really come down to to one thing, and it's it's casting, and it's chemistry. But it's really the I mean, it's the casting of the people in it. And this is a funky cast because you have a lot of great character actors, not like real great leads. I mean, even Cher is not your kind of your typical kind of leading lady. I mean, yeah, she made a lot of movies in, in, in the kind of mid-80s where she was a leading lady, but fast forward, you know, she doesn't have that normal kind of normal feeling. And Nicolas Cage, 
is freaking crazy. This, the crazy Nicolas Cage, that quirky, strange Nicolas Cage is, is, on, is, is here. But before he became, I don't want to call him lazy, but, you know, because I'm not, I'm not an actor. I, I can't judge. I don't judge acting that well. But, you know, you know what you get with Nicolas Cage now when you see the movie. You, you know all the th- things that he's going to go through. You know how, what he's going to do. So it, it's, it's a pre-that Nicolas Cage. And that's what makes it work, and that's what makes it different. And then you, I mean, you have, think about all the other people. You have Danny Aiello in there. And as Cher's parents, you've got Olympia Dukakis and, and Vincent Gardenia, who are great. But John, and John Mahoney, Frazier's dad, as probably one of my favorite characters, and, and he and Olympia Dukakis have one of my favorite scenes when, you know, later in the movie, again, I don't have, I don't have the time to really kind of go into every little nuance, but there's just so many great people in this movie. But what makes it fun, because it, it, it's funny because it is sort of like an ugly duckling movie. And they do a good job of like, Cher's not all that attractive in the movie. And you're thinking like, well, Cher's never really attractive. Well, here, I'm going to say it. Cher was very attractive. And, and it, that shocked me too, uh, how, how beautiful she actually was. You know, unfortunately, you know, with all the plastic surgery and everything, it, ha- it happens. But it kind of makes this, it kind of, you know, it kind of, look, listen to my voice right now. It's kind of kind of makes me sad <laughs> what she did with her voice and Nicolas Cage did with his acting it's it's uh I'd say it's sad is the only probably the only thing I can possibly say but this was kind of like a perfect moment for the two of them and it's crazy it's like they have it takes off a lot of scenes there was a scene there's a there's a scene at the opera which made me think wow this is exactly like Pretty Woman which of course Pretty Woman came out a, a number of years later but it was sort of that because that was the scene where there was the transformation it's kind of like when Julia Roberts came out in the red dress Cher comes out and is shown as glamorous and at this point this is a movie about about love and not only love but it like the, it's it's not totally just Romantic comedy love. It is, and I'm going to get sappier or philosophical here and say, you know what? It really does touch on what it is like the, the human aspect of love, of just that it's messy and that, you know, these people in this movie, they love each other in, in, in all their different ways and they hurt each other and they're good people, they're bad people, but they're not one or the other. They're kind of both and they're everything. And that's kind of like a, a little more what, uh, what it's like. God. It's uh, it, it's like almost I just want to. It's almost like I just want to sing right now. Uh, you know, it's like when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. That's amore. And I probably didn't hit any notes right, but that sums up Moonstruck for you. That song right there. So I don't know if I would recommend say, hey, grabbing someone that you love and watching this movie. It is a quirky, fun movie, and and I gotta tell you. As I seem like I'm, I'm kind of rattling around in my brain about this. I've got my notes in front of me. I've got, I've got my thoughts in front of me. But it still was shocking to me that how much I actually liked this movie. So, what's the next movie going to be? I don't know. I don't know what the next movie is going to be. I've got 92 more to go. So get there on onto RogerEbert.com and, and take a look at, at that list. If you've got something that you want me to uh, to look at soon, let me know. Uh, if not, we'll. Uh, We'll talk to you. Darn, I still don't have a catchphrase. Oh. Anyways, everybody, keep enjoying the movies. We'll talk to you soon.
Okay, here's the next question. Now that you've rewatched License to Drive, what do you think? I would say that to know me personally, this is how I recommend or or review movies. 80 or 90% of the movies I watch, if you ask me, how was it? I'll say, Meh, it was all right. It was all right. That's going to be my review most of the time. Yeah, I think it held up really well. I think it, uh, you know, because some films are really, really, uh, re- really just don't age well at all, especially from the 80s. But sometimes I can still have a fondness for them, even if I can realize that they're probably not a very good film nowadays. But this one, I think, actually holds up pretty well on its merits. I think the comedy still plays really well. I think the direction's excellent. Um, and I do think Corey Haim is really good. And I think it's one of the best showcases of his his talents. Um, I know I really like him in Lucas as well. I think Lucas was probably his best ever performance. Um, but this one was sort of, sort of showed uh, that, yeah, he could, he could carry a movie, definitely. And I think it's a better role for Corey Feldman, too. I think if I read some where that the roles were going to be reversed or that Corey Feldman actually uh, auditioned for Corey Haim's part. And I think it wouldn't have worked at all. I think it works a lot better with Corey Haim as the lead and Corey Feldman kind of like the funny comic relief because Corey Feldman, as much as I love him, he does work there in small doses. I think if he was the, I think his best performances, I mean, the Goonies, Stand By Me, I think of those films, brilliant when he's just a supporting character, but he was the lead to those movies. I think it might've gotten a bit grating because he, he, I love the guy, but he can be too much at times, I think. In some ways, I feel pretty much the same about it. It's neither top shelf nor is it bottom of the barrel. I, I think that's a fair assessment. You know, watching it with more mature, uh, cultivated eyes and mind, not top shelf because it just there's a, some problems, but uh, not bottom of the barrel either because there is some some good stuff. A, a decent but uh, but basic movie. I, I mean, one thing that I definitely love and take away from my modern viewing is. Uh, that line, who cares what your commie boyfriend thinks? I mean, that, that is such a great line. Uh, that, that's really my standard response now. Whenever anybody makes me mad and starts flapping their lips, I just tell them, who cares what your commie boyfriend thinks? Here's what License to Drive really is. If we want to say, <laughs> if we want to go and show if aliens ever landed on the on on Earth in some time from now into the future, and we said, you know what? Here's what the '80s were like, or '80s '80s teen comedies were like. I would show them that uh, that movie, like because I'm not talking classics. I'm not talking classics. I'm not because it, it'd be hard. In, in some ways, you kind of say to them, "Hey, here's what the '80s were like." In on movies, now, not in real life, but in on the movies, this is what eight, the eighties were like. Because you know, you could say, "Hey, I'll show them Sixteen Candles," I'll show them The Breakfast Club. But each one of those is so unique. I mean, there's a uniqueness to each one of those. This is the most generic eighties teen comedy, and it's awesome. I mean, it's I mean, it's it's awesome. And like, I was just my mind was boggled how it just ticked every box. And I mean. Let's just go. Let's just get right into it. Come on. We had you have the you have the drunk girl. So, so okay, that's from Sixteen Candles. Corey Feldman is a total. Oh my goodness! I mean, he's he's just despicable in this. His his speeches about having a driver's license it it didn't resonate with what my childhood was. Doesn't resonate with how I view life today. I'm not a car guy. Uh, so his whole focus on cars and and licenses and taking pictures down Heather Graham's blouse as she's catatonic, which, you know, you go to prison for today, uh, just kind of tainted the movie a little bit. So, 
you know, it, I'd say it's 50-50. There's some real good stuff that I'll never forget about it, but there's some stuff that I, I don't ever need to see again. Oh, God, there was so much, I mean, so much good stuff. You had, like, the, the parents who were kind of aloof, but they 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 weren't. Like, it was weird. Like, I'm, moments there, I'm like, these guys are all right. This is it's a little different because the parents are actually kind of with it. And then they totally weren't. So it wasn't a waste of, of time. I mean, it's an enjoyable 80s movie, but I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. I was I was a little bored. I didn't think it was that great. Although it, it still uh, featured my favorite 80s dad because he's so, I don't know, he looks lovable. And I looked up how to say his name. It's Richard Masser. Masser, like without the T for master. And actually, the other thing I really loved about this film was uh, Richard Masur's performance. He was just amazing, like mm-hmm. he, as the dad. He was fantastic. I remember always thinking that he was brilliant, um, but watching it again, it just his comic timing and his delivery of uh, uh, his lines, just his facial expressions too. He was uh, absolutely fantastic because he's kind of a cool dad. I think he's actually kind of pretty good as dads go in the movies. He's not really that that awful. He's really nice, but for some reason they kind of, you know, um, as, as all ladies films do, they kind of demonize him a little bit. But he's kind of actually pretty cool. Um, but uh, I really loved his performance in this. The car out of control and then sliding in, you know, neatly into a parking spot, like a la the va- out of vacation. Um, you have an opening, you have the opening like dream sequence, fear, you know, like where you're trapped on a school bus. You know, the only thing that we didn't have is Freddy Krueger in the front seat. I'm like, this is Nightmare on Elm Street 2 with a Corey. And like, how much better would a, would a Nightmare on Elm Street movie would be with a, with a Corey being killed? Yeah, I mean, that might be my dream now. I guess the one thing that uh, I, I thought maybe left a bit of a bad taste was Heather Graham's role um, because, yeah, I remember this kind of being a really sweet romance and just thinking like it was more of a romantic sort of <laughs> film that, you know, like they had really good chemistry and, you know, that they really did a good job and that they had you know, a, real, a really nice sweet romance. But they kind of really don't interact at all in this movie. It's the same, like, when he comes to pick her up, like, for their date. Um, it was kind of funny because she just sort of walks out and says, let's go. They don't even have any banter. Mm-hmm. They don't even talk. It's just like, and they don't even seem to. And then, you know, they drive to that club. He just walks in without him. And, uh, you know, he's left to sort of just stand out there like a like a chump, unfortunately. And uh, it was kind of a bit weird. She didn't really seem to, to like him at all, really. Um, but they have a, one nice scene where they sort of go out to that, uh, that, that lookout point. Um, but then she gets drunk and is sort of <laughs> thrown into the back of a car. It's kind of a bit demeaning, I thought, really. And uh, kind of in this day and age, you kind of think, what you know, why couldn't she have been there the night too? I don't think it would have changed the movie at all. I think it would actually would have maybe even improved it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really added anything t- that she got drunk and that, you know, they had to actually put her in the back of the car. And uh, and also, yeah, a bit, a bit of a Nikki scene too where Cora Feldman's sort of taking pictures of her, um, you know, while she's passed out, at, like under under her shirt. That was kind of a bit icky too. So, yeah, just watching it again, I think even back in the day, I even thought, yeah, that was kind of, yeah, not, not on. And I guess the film does say it too because Corey Haim gets, gets a bit angry about it. So, but, yeah, just it, yeah, I don't think it really played very well at all. Hi, I'm Les Anderson. I've been grounded for about 30 years. It's all because of my driver's test. You failed. And her. I thought that we had a date tonight. And him. What could possibly go wrong? And that night. License to drive. I think I'm gonna throw up. Rated PG-13. 
Okay, let's get a little personal now. So if you ever pulled a stunt like Les and company did, anything even close to that. So did you ever, and whether you did or not, what would have happened to you had you pulled a stunt like that? That's a good question. You know, I I probably would have gotten off pretty easily just because it was so out of character. Well, you know, I had an older brother to pave that road of doing the, the dumb things. And I just stayed out of that. So I've never done anything as crazy as that. I mean, the craziest things I've ever done, well, the craziest thing I ever did was was I went to my buddies and I, I think it was my senior in high school, we just decided, eh, we're bored out of our minds. Let's just go try and get lost. Like, we'll just drive and then like, all right, we'll take a left here, take a right here, and then f- figure out where we ended up. And we did that a couple, t- we did that a few times because we were really boring. Uh, but one time we went to New York City. And I think I, so we go to New York City and then I think I called my mother to tell her I was late. I was going to be late. And so that was all cool and fine. And then like, I think we pulled the same stunt like a week later. Um, I think it's, we were probably graduated by now. Uh, I think it's probably, I think I was the summer after, after senior high school. And I just kept it. And, and she was, this time I didn't call. And so I was like way past curfew and she was pissed about that. We pulled lots of shenanigans. My uh, friends and I, uh, I, we have quite a few stories to tell. None were as elaborate as this, though. I I never took anybody's car. I never destroyed a car. The thought of destroying a car is mortifying to me. That's another thing that makes this this movie kind of unenjoyable, is that I don't like seeing things destroyed. And for them to destroy this car is just uh, gut-wrenchingly painful. Um, so I didn't do anything like that. I was too afraid, uh, to do anything like that. Had I done something like that though, I doubt I would have got a chance at public redemption. My folks would not be nearly as forgiving. I would probably still be riding a bike and uh, paying off the car to this day. I'm going to disappoint you I think, because no, nothing at all like this. I think, you know, it was because of this film that I would never have dared to try anything like this because this film, to me, it's a horror film in some ways because, I mean, I kind of, I'm not a very confident driver at the best of times. So watching a film like this where just, you know, he's just doing these crazy, the car's out of control and it's like smashing into things and like flying off mountains and just you know just all these things i just it was kind of i mean that's one of my great fears i just don't actually i'm not a very confident driver so uh to see although these sort of accidents or potential accidents happen um yeah i think maybe this film might have even caused that a little bit maybe because it kind of makes it into a bit of a horror film that goes on because it's kind of a pretty scary film at times if you if you were to take it seriously some of the stuff that uh, that they do um with you know also less you know hanging out the window my mother was a very strict on the driving thing. I was not allowed to drive. Like when I got my license, I was not allowed to drive at night at first. Or I, I was not allowed to drive with any, any per, other person in the car at first. And then eventually I wasn't allowed to drive with any other person at night. And it was kind of like, you know, I had, to, I had to get my little training. Even once I got my license, it took some time to actually get the full training wheels off. And I actually got caught driving a buddy of mine after school somewhere. In 19, this was you know, a few months after I got my license, and that sucked only because I got grounded for two weeks, and I was not able to see Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade mm. like when it first came out. So I had to wait a few weeks to see it. So that tells you about my exciting <laughs> life as a 17 year old. Yes, everybody. My saddest part was that I not that I couldn't go out with my girlfriend because I didn't have one <laughs> at that point. <laughs> was because I could not see Indiana Jones. 
God, I'm a tool. <laughs> One time we uh, we all skipped school because uh, the uh, district next to us was uh, on strike. So we thought we could skip school. And if we got caught, tell the police we were from that other district. And um, we got picked up and they took us downtown somewhere uh, when our story just completely fell apart as we were unable to give a, a phone number from that district. And um, so one guy's uh, dad came to get him. And as soon as they walked out of the building, we heard him beating this kid. Uh, one guy's mom came and got him. She's like, I'm going to take you home, honey. It's all going to be okay. And milk and cookies and wonderful. My mom was, was in between. You know, she came in, she gave me the Claire Huxtable look and oh my goodness, I, you know, they grounded me for two weeks, but there was no, you know, abuse or they didn't hurt me, but it was not like, you know, it, it did not go unnoticed or unpunished. I never really tested it back in the day. I never really did anything too bad to actually see what my parents were capable of. But I think had I have done something like that, I would have been, yeah, really, really in in trouble um, if I had have taken the car out or and, and wrecked it uh, like happened in this film. But to me, it was really it pushed credibility at the end uh, where, uh, you know, it was all fine in the end. And like, they were laughing about it. I guess uh, that's what made me laugh. Just that, yeah. Like both cars were totaled and they just like, thought it was a big hilarious thing. And it just very, very movie <laughs> sort of mm. ending. I don't think real life is quite that, you know, sunny and happy. You just see a car totaled or, you know, just into a little, you know, smashed into a little block and <laughs> it's all a big joke. So <laughs> yeah, it was the right ending for the movie, but yeah, it did. I was a bit, yeah, maybe it was, wasn't, wasn't really like it would, it would play out in real life, but I can forgive it. Cause yeah, license are a pretty, pretty good fantasy. I think it's uh, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways it was, uh, it kind of is a bit of a, a teenage boy's fantasy, but I don't know. I still related to it. I still really enjoyed it for what it was. And I think um, a lot of it was, uh, was quite good. You know, just like Ferris Bueller, you would love to think that you could pull these things off. And in reality, you just you just can't. I mean, this is way too elaborate, you know, to to have been pulled off. It's great for a movie, but it doesn't come anything close to real life. Uh, You know, so we had never stolen a car. The the only thing close involving a car was when I was about 13. Uh, Mom used to have me go start the car for her. You know, we weren't in Florida. We were in Ohio. And you had to start your car 20 minutes before you left so that it was defrosted and warm and everything. And one day I decided to find out what the gears did. And I put it in reverse and it backed across the street. I didn't know how to stop it and finally went over a curb and stopped. And I went to tell mom what had happened. And she said, stop joking around. I said, I'm not joking around. Please look out the window. And she did. And that was that. Guess what? Corey Haim and Corey Feldman are giving out their personal numbers. If you call 1-900-909-3700, you can listen to their private phone messages and get their personal number where you can leave them a message of your own. $2 the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Ask your parents before you call. 1-900-909-3700. If you call me right now, I'll give you my private number. Um, you call that number and you'll hear a recording and I'll give you my personal number if you call that. Um, and we'll wrap. Okay, now the final question. What is your favorite two Corey's motion picture? I went back and I looked at all the, just a list of movies that they were together in. I've certainly watched The Lost Boys countless times, but all the other ones, I either haven't seen them, but none of them touch Lost Boys. I haven't seen all of Dream a Little Dream. And then I think the other stuff was like less noteworthy. Of all their movies, 
I think this one is the most fun. I think, though, that I have to say The Lost Boys is my favorite. I mean, if I don't say that, you know, somebody's going to blanket beat me or something. So I definitely have to say The Lost Boys is my favorite. I Dream a Little Dream just annoys me. I don't understand it very well. It seems kind of sad and desperate. It's, you know, Ferris Bueller gone bad kind of to me. So definitely not Dream a Little Dream. Those are the only three I really know, though. I know that uh, Corey Haim uh, appeared, is in... At the end of Lost Boys 2, I think, there's a little cameo with him. I think it's in the deleted scenes or alternate ending that you get a cameo of Haim in Vamp. So he's been turned. He's a vampire, and he tells, you know, the frog that uh, he's coming after him. But he had, you know, he wasn't the same person that he was. You know, let me, I'll just put it that way. And, and it's kind of obvious on camera. And it just, you know, that was kind of, but but I know they were they were in some other much less notable films that uh, they, there is a Wikipedia page on them. And I saw, you know, the list of films they did together. I didn't recognize in there's one with Nicole Eggert, I think. So even though their best movie that they were both in was Lost Boys, I won't call this my favorite movie, but the movie I was most ever, I, the, probably the only Corey movie I was ever excited about was going, was seeing Blown Away, which I think it was a straight to DVD, you know, straight to video. But the thing was for me, it was Nicole Eggert was in it. Oh, and she was like my Alyssa Milano. She was one of my Alyssa Milano's, you know, it's like, uh, you know, she was from ever since she was on Charles in charge. Like, I love that girl. Like she was like one of those girls. And you know, the big thing is like, Oh, she gets oh, Nicole Eggert gets naked in this movie. And yes, I was like that dirt bag. Of course that, that point I was probably 21 or 20 by the time I saw that, but we'll just ignore that fact. Well, this one easily is number one for me. I, I think probably lost boys is a better movie in terms of like, it's a more cinematic. It's a better, definitely a better film overall, but I, still prefer this one. If I was going to choose to watch one out of the two, I think I'd still go for this one. And I remember, I, I haven't revisited Dream a Little Dream in years, but I remember that one not being up to the standard of uh, of their other ones. But um, I've seen a lot of Corey films. There was another one, Blown Away. Yeah, that was like, I think that was like mid-90s, that one, or early 90s, and that one was kind of a guilty pleasure, but not a very good movie. That was when they were on their, their downslide. But uh, I definitely think this one's still my favourite. This is the one I always think of. Whenever I think of the two Corys, I think this is the the one I instantly picture the poster and I think this one has a good um a good uh chemistry with them I think it really it uses them in the right way it has you know Corey Haim as the lead and Corey Feldman in a smaller role so I think it um definitely is the best of of all the ones that I've ever seen you guys enjoyed that there was a lot of fun to record with everybody the next episode that's coming up of forgotten flicks is going to be the eliminators from 1986 this is a charles band produced feature involving a mandroid if you're not familiar definitely look it up on youtube i believe the entire movie is on youtube so i was joined for that episode by peter the one and only the great dane so in a couple weeks i'll be bringing that to you one of my intentions is is to start getting back to doing an episode a week. And as I found out, putting together this License to Drive episode, the format of editing everybody together probably is not conducive to making that happen. So there'll definitely be more episodes in the original format of me and another individual talking about a movie and 
I like the idea of peppering other things through like Dave's the quest segments or any other reviews like I had from Jay of the Dead for the brainstorm episode. Anything like that may also be peppered through, but the bulk of the episodes will be more of the back and forth conversation. So until next time, remember at Forgotten Flicks, we're talking about the movies you grew up with. Archie's come back. Thanks for listening. And for even more retro movie goodness, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and feel free to leave a review. It helps more people find out about the show. And don't forget our awesome Facebook group. And if you want to leave feedback for the show, you can just email an MP3 recording to ForgottenFlicks at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback and have you contribute to future episodes of Forgotten Flicks. So swing on by ForgottenFlicks.com where we've got great retro reviews, articles, games, tons of past podcast episodes and interviews, and more. And, and I feel like I'm forgetting something. Hey, what? hey Wait, give yeah, me that microphone, you. Oh, yeah. I have to just tell you one more thing. Special thanks to JV of your secret identity. Check out Killer Rock Music at YourSecretIdentity.com. Oh, yeah. I know I'm screaming all this, but JV sent it all in cap, so I guess I have to scream it then, brother. Yeah.